1: Today's show is brought to you by OnPay, the new standard in payroll. You can pay employees and contractors in minutes, automate your payroll taxes and filings, as well as provide health benefits and HR in all 50 states. For more information, visit buildingthefutureshow.com OnPay. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Brian Clayton. He's the co-founder and CEO of GreenPell. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, awesome. Great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I I think what you guys are doing at, at Green Pal is actually really pretty cool. But maybe before we get into that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
0: Yeah, I grew up in a town outside of Nashville, Tennessee called Murfreesboro, Tennessee. And moved there when I was uh, 12 years old. Um, I was a military brat growing up, so we moved around a lot. But I ended up settling down in Middle Tennessee, and that's where I grew up and started my
1: first business when I was 15 years old. Wow. Okay. So what business was that, and what made you start that up? I'd like to tell you that
0: I uh, had the entrepreneurial spirit to start my first business. But the truth of the matter is my, my dad forced me to.
1: Okay. I remember
0: the day really, really clearly. I was playing Super Mario Kart in my room on a nice, hot summer day in the air-conditioned inside. And my dad came up to my room. He said, "Hey, we got a job to do. We are going to go mow the neighbor's yard." Okay. And I, re- <laughs> I was forced to do that. And my dad <laughs> and I uh, went over to my neighbor's house and we cut the grass. And the neighbor paid us twenty bucks. We each split it. And ever since then, I, I was just bitten by the entrepreneurial spirit i i started, started mowing their yard every week and before i knew it the end of that summer i had five or ten customers and uh, fast forward over 15 years period of time i built that little lawn mowing business from just myself and a push mower to over 150 employees i wow. uh, built it to a company that did, did over 10 million dollars in annual revenue And uh, in 2013, it was acquired by the largest landscaping company in the, in the, in the the United States. So, uh, I've been in business my whole life. I'm wired to love it. And my dad forced me to start my first business. I'm glad he did.
1: That's, that's really cool. So did you just keep doing lawns or did you branch out into other services as well? Because that's a lot of employees and a lot of revenue.
0: Yeah, totally. So, uh, through high school and college it was primarily a just a residential lawn mowing business okay so uh, by the time I was 19 20 years old i had four or five employees and we were we were maintaining the, the homes and properties for something like around 150 clients on a weekly basis wow and i would just grow grow that business little by little every year word of mouth back then in the late 90s there wasn't anything like digital marketing or anything like that so it was a lot of uh, flyers and handing out business cards, but grew that business little by little every year. And as time went on, I think it was after I did, after we got our first million dollars a year in revenue, I decided, okay, it's time to start growing this into a really big company. And the way you do that in that particular type of company is you go after the commercial clientele, commercial contracts, because that's where the volume is. It took me a long time to learn how to do that. But just through sheer will and grit, I was able to land my first commercial client, which was McDonald's, uh, wow. and I just grew, grew the business off of just quality, and outworking my competition, and taking care of my employees, and just, just cheer, hustle, and perseverance, I was able to grow it into one of the biggest landscaping companies in the state.
1: That's very cool, man. So, while you were doing all this, you were studying business, Correct. Yeah, yeah. So my mom
0: uh, is a PhD, uh, English literature Ph.D. Wow. And she, uh, if it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't have gone to college because I was doing pretty well cutting yards uh, when I was 19 to 20 years old. When I was 20 years old, back in back in the early 2000s, I was making like hundred grand a year. Wow. Take home cutting grass. And so I'm thinking, why the hell am I going to college uh, (laughs) when my friends are doing that and making half that? Yep. Uh, So for me, for me, it doesn't make sense economically. However, my mom was, I was lucky enough to to have a a mom, a mother that was intellectual. And she basically forced me to go. (laughs) And the first year I tried it, hated it. And then I kept, kept with it. I wanted to finish for her. And and I, and I'm glad I stuck with it. I, I went seven years at night uh so i would mow grass 12 hours during the day and then by seven o'clock six o'clock i would take a night class till sometimes nine or ten at night wow and those were just really, those were exhausting times but i think college taught me more about just hard work and sticking with something than anything because uh, little by little I, I got it done and i'm glad i did because you know it's something that that has taught me taught, taught me a lot of things taught me how to communicate well in writing taught me basic principles around economics and accounting and all sorts of things that, that are, that are necessary in business.
1: No, that's, that's very cool. And yeah, like I I agree, like having a business degree, whether you start your own company or work for somebody else and learning all those fundamentals is never bad. Right. No matter where you learn them.
0: Right. 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 I think college, uh, if you look at college as a consumption decision, and not an investment decision, that's where it gets dangerous. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of college kids do that. You know, they, they look at it as a way of four or five years of partying and maybe get a, a, a whatever degree. And and I think it's a waste of your time. But if you if you use it as a fulcrum as something to help you with the path that you're already on, then I think it can be a force multiplier. And it definitely was for me.
1: No, that that makes a lot of sense. So you sell the business did you take some time off or, or what did you do next? Yeah,
0: great question. So running that company for 15 years, over 100 employees, that business was my identity. It was who sure. I was as a person. Uh, I had a lot of personal, just stock invested in the, in the company. And so when I sold it, there was a, uh, there was a grieving period that I really didn't anticipate. Uh, it was almost like, okay, who am I? What do I do now? uh, what, what, what is the point of of any of this? And, and I thought I was going to retire. I was 32 when I sold it and I did take about six six months off. Um, but there's only so many beaches you can lay on. There's only, uh, there's only, there's only so much relaxing you can do. And, and I just started to have that itch. I wanted to get back in the game. I wanted to, I started to realize myself that I'm really only happy when I'm making progress on something. And when i when I'm winning and when I am when I'm when I am setting goals and accomplishing them and even more so when I'm doing it with a team of smart people around me to me that's fun and so that was kind of impetus of, of why I wanted a second company and for me that was obvious it was just it was 2013 uh you had Uber, Lyft, Airbnb were, were on the come up and I just started seeing what those innovative companies were doing in traditional businesses like ride-sharing or, or the taxing business or, or accommodations. And for me, that was just, it's just a no brainer that a way to order lawn mowing service through a website or an app just needed to happen. Uh, and so the idea for GreenPow, which in a sentence is over for lawn mowing, was born. And it's a great idea. It needs to exist in the world. But I did not understand how hard it was going to be. I didn't understand how difficult it was going to be to reinvent myself from just a traditional blue-collar entrepreneur to a full-blown tech software-based company entrepreneur, and I didn't understand how hard the chasm between those those two uh, those two journeys was and is. And so uh, it took me probably three years uh, for my team and I to really orient ourselves around. How do you build software? How do you design software? How do you execute uh, a product roadmap? How do, you, how do you distribute and market it once you've got it built? All of those things we had to learn the hard way through trial and error. And if I'm honest, if I had known how hard it was going to be, I probably would have never gotten started. But I'm glad I did because here we are, here we are seven years later. We have over a hundred thousand uh, users that use the platform on a, on a weekly basis. Wow! And the platform is going to gross twenty million dollars this year.
1: Wow, congratulations! That
0: that's huge. With, oh, thanks, man. And like that all started with a handful of users. We finished our first year in two thousand fourteen with like twenty five customers, and I think twelve of them were my family. Uh, <laughs> so it's
1: like <laughs> that's good though. You know, having to start over again from scratch was humbling, sure. but I'm glad I did. Sure. So. I want to dive into going from a blue collar worker into basically building a tech business. But first I want to dive a little bit deeper into green pal. So walk us through what did you launch with and how has green pal grown over the years?
0: Yeah, great question. So we got started. I recruited two co-founders and we, I, I, I literally thought that we were going to pay a dev shop uh, in Nashville to build the, the, the app, and we would launch it, we would market it, and then we would all just get rich. And, man, what a dumb idea that was. <laughs> you know, I, we built this thing. We spent $120,000 with, with a dev, dev shop, a uh, development agency in Nashville, and we spent, it, spent like nine months with them building this thing. We launched it, and it was a total piece of crap. Really? It was hard to use. It was slow. It was buggy. It was confusing. Um, and we just – it was such a letdown that, that, you know, we almost gave up. But what we did is we passed out, golly, 100,000 flyers all around Nashville, Tennessee, uh, trying to get people to use this thing. And we were, we were following some methodology that was popular at the time, still kind of is, uh, the Lean Startup methodology. Yeah. And we knew that we had to at least get people to try it so that we could get the adopting users. And then we would interview the hell out of them to understand, okay, what problems did we solve for you? What problems did you think it was going to solve for you? Where did we let you down? If we delighted you, where did that maybe happen? Um, so then we could get some like validation around, Okay, did we have something here that was worth spending the next five, ten years of our life on? Luckily, we did that. We we, we followed the the playbook. Uh, we were reading a book called uh, the Startup uh, Handbook or Roadmap by Steve Blank. Yeah. And we were we were following that methodology to a T. And luckily, we had that that blueprint to follow because it led us down the path of understanding that if you can get just ten. 20, 100 people use it, and if you can interview the hell out of them and understand what what they want and what you're doing and close the gap between those two, that will lead you down the path of success. And that's what we did. Uh, we, we took all of that feedback. We, we met with everybody that would meet with us at every coffee shop in Mill Tennessee, and we used that feedback to bake into the second version. And the second version, we built ourselves. My co-founder went to, went to a software boot camp here in Nashville, and he studied uh, Ruby on Rails programming. Uh, my other co-founder uh, studied uh, front-end front end development, and I studied uh, growth, growth hacking and, and distribution. And so the three of us just focused on those disciplines, spent the year just pouring over blogs, YouTube videos, Udemy courses, anything we could get our hands on. So learn how to execute these, these fundamental tasks. And then we built the second version in, in, in the way that we knew that people would like. And, and that foundation has been the same, same foundation that we've been iterating on ever since for seven years, six years. And it wasn't until that we could execute these things ourselves that we could do what's called the build, measure, learn feedback loop, uh, that we could slowly make this thing better and better and relentlessly improve it month over month that here we are now with over a hundred thousand users that that use it and retain using. Um, and, and luckily we didn't give up because, because looking back, you know, those, those first three years were the hardest.
1: Sure. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. And it's very cool that you guys, that you and your co-founders basically took a vertical and, and went and learned it and then built it. Right. Cause I think so many people, like that, that in itself is daunting, right? Never mind creating a startup, just going ahead and learning something new kind of on your own and having the discipline to do that and then taking what you learned and actually applying that into building a company that you already are kind of working on, you know, that's very cool, man. And that's actually really good advice and that it took you three years of highs and lows and probably everywhere in between to keep going, right? Yeah, yeah, totally,
0: man. And, and a couple, couple things that I'll point out. Yeah, press so and so company raised fifty hundred million dollars. So and so company just sold for five hundred dollars, uh, whatever. And and as an entrepreneur, you see those things, and you're like, damn, why can't I do that? I did that in three years or four years. You know, why is it taking me seven years to get to this point? And what you don't understand is most of the team the behind that headline that's just like seemingly crushing it, most of the time they're on their second or third company. Yeah. They've already built a company that flopped. They've already built a company that crashed and burned, or two or three. And so and so they've already gone through the cycles of learning how to build software how to and how to execute against a playbook that's going to take anybody to get started uh, two or three years, I don't care who you are, to learn For themselves and so they literally started on second base whereas you know as an entrepreneur getting into this game you're starting uh and and so that's something i had to learn the hard way as i was going through those three years it's like listen don't beat yourself up going back if you if let's say you're running a traditional style business and you want to start a tech business what you have to reconcile is there is a big difference between building a traditional business, and you're executing a known game plan that others have executed before you versus building a, a tech-based business, a software-enabled business, where you are building something that does not yet exist in the world. Those are really two different paths. And and so I would encourage any entrepreneur that's, that's running a, a traditional business that wants to start a, a software company to understand that most of the time, when you're starting a software company, you're inventing a new product that doesn't exist that you're going to have to figure it out as you go, and it's really it's really the only way to figure it out is just trial and error and just experimenting and iteration. Going to take relentless relentless perseverance to get through that. At the end of, at the end of the journey, I think it's, it's worth it, but those things are very different, and I didn't understand that when I first got started building Greenhouse.
1: Sure. And you're right. Like you read so many headlines about other people being successful and it can be so discouraging because you don't know, you're like, why isn't this happening to me? Do you want to maybe talk about some of that too?
0: Totally. Yeah. A lot, most of the time, you know, what we don't understand as entrepreneurs, when we, when we read those headlines and we see companies exiting for, million 500 million billion multi-billion dollars and you read that on the one hand it's inspiring i mean be glad that yeah. exists because that's the game you're in i mean that, that that high tide raises all boats so so you first of all look at it like that like thank god they got that done because that means i can get this done however it's easy to look at that and be discouraged and say damn they got started in 2017 and they raised three hundred million bucks, sold for seven hundred million, and here I am, I'm still hustling, you know, I'm I'm still I'm still in the trenches building this thing. Why why are they doing so much better seemingly? What you don't understand is a lot of times that that founder or that whole team is on their second or third lap. They've yeah. already crashed and burned two or three times.
1: Or more than that. They've, they've already
0: <laughs> Or more than that. Or maybe they got a single. Maybe they, they built a business and it took them nine years to build it and they sold it for like two million bucks. Yeah, you know, But they learned everything they needed to learn on that first trip to build and execute the plan on the second or third time that any entrepreneur that starts a, 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 a company in a in tech space is going to have to go through a two or three year learning curve
1: no i I hundred percent agree with you. I think that that's actually really good advice. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into transitioning from kind of a blue collar worker into being like a tech founder. Walk us through some of the yeah. struggles or things to consider when making that transition.
0: Yeah, you know, I totally under index on how. I underestimated how difficult that was going to be. I thought, you know, we would build the thing, pay somebody to build it, market it, and we would be good. And what I didn't understand was when you're building software, it's never finished. You have to have an engine that can improve software that can get feedback that can execute uh, a a roadmap that that you lay out that's baked in in user feedback. You have to be able to do that continuously. It's like, Your company is in the business of constructing and building and distributing software. That's very different than owning a construction company or a landscaping business or a home cleaning business or like a dentist uh, uh, office or something like that. Those two business, those two paths are very different. And I didn't really understand that, and it, it it took me a year. Just trying to get pointed in the right direction, and another year learning the skills my team and I needed to learn to to execute this stuff ourselves, and then another year to get any kind of momentum around this, these 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 efforts. And so, anybody that that is, you know, let's say you own I don't know, let's say you own a hotel and you, you think that you know you want to start software around making hotels operations easier, it's going to take you three years from the time you make that decision. To actually getting some momentum behind your idea and some traction, and I can't reiterate that enough. And anybody that's tried to to do this stuff will tell you, like, they were probably like, if they if they were probably hacking on something in their early twenties, and and learning how to build software while while you weren't even thinking about that. I know that's true for me, and it's it takes it, there's, like there's a ticket to 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 the to the game that's going to take you a long time. That. I'm not saying don't do it. Just be prepared for that. And, and be willing to grit your teeth through that. That said, I think if you are a tech entrepreneur, and you have real domain expertise in something that is traditional, and you have the scars to, 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 to show it like you, you've spent five or 10 years, running a restaurant or you spent five or 10 years running a a traditional based business, like a tow truck company or something like that. And you want to, you know how software can make that whole world easier. Well, then I think you are uniquely situated to win because you have all of the domain experience. And if you can combine that with the ability to execute and build software, you can be deadly. You can be unstoppable. And for my team and I, that's one of our competitive advantages. We've seen, I don't know, a half a billion dollars of venture capital get crashed into the ground for Uber for X startups that we knew wouldn't work, but we didn't let uh, it sway us from our path. We knew we had a simple truth. We knew how the workflows needed to be architected. We knew how the platform needed to be built because we've spent 15 years in this business ourselves.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think the one of the next big revolutions in tech and software is exactly what you pointed out, is taking these traditional offline businesses and bringing them online, right? And you're right, even it doesn't matter how tech savvy you are. If you've never worked in that vertical of that offline business, it, it like not saying you can't do it, but it's astronomically harder. And if you can find and right. partner with somebody that has that experience, you're right. You it's it's almost unstoppable, right? Because when those two kind of physical and online world combine and you create something that adds a ton of value, you you can the sky's kind of the limit, right? Exactly. And
0: there's like there's, there's certainly not one path to victory. But that one can certainly uh, help tip the odds in your favor. I mean, you see, you see tech, tech teams that are purely tech that crush it with no domain experience. And a lot of times, not having any domain experience can be an advantage because you're so freaking naive about it yeah. that you get started, whereas, whereas somebody who's lived it won't. So I'm not discounting that path. Sure. I'm saying, for me, my experience, in my opinion, this entrepreneur's experience, the best – chances for success are combining offline domain experience that's baked in five, ten, twenty 10, 20 years, and then combining that with tech. I think that is the, is the most probable path to success. Whereas, you know, most tech startups 99 out of a hundred fail. You can, you can drastically tip the odds the in your favor if, if you have a more pragmatic approach to it. Uh, and, and you see this over and over again, you know, we had, we had a, uh, Five years ago, one of the big hot uh, crazes was uh, on-demand valet. Okay. And like $200 million uh, of venture capital, smart people, poured into on-demand valet car parking. And and I think there was four of these companies, and every one of them failed miserably. And anybody that has ran a valet stand would have told you that that was a dumb idea and it would never work. But none of them did. They, they all saw that Uber was – crushing it. And they thought, okay, Uber for everything will exist. Uber for home cleaning, Uber for online, uh, Uber for valets, Uber for, uh, for laundry service. And, and sadly, most of these companies failed because they, they were purely tech based uh, approaches. Nobody really had the domain experience in running a dry cleaning service and thought, and, and then converted to a tech entrepreneur. It was just a, a smart, team of, of software programmers thinking, okay, there should be Uber for, for uh, dry cleaning. And man, I mean, billions of dollars have been crashed into the ground trying to chase those ideas.
1: No, you're, you're not wrong. It's, it's interesting, right? Like, <coughs> yeah, no, that's, that's very cool. So is there any other advice that you would give to a blue collar worker that is looking to build software?
0: yeah um understand that your days are going to be comprised of, of being on it and being in it and by that I mean you're going to be in it just trying to just trying to like hand-to-hand combat style getting done the stuff that you need to get done whether it be like hustling up users for your software whether it be talking to whatever engineers you might have, be working for you, designers, whatever, like all of the the nuts and bolts that go into building software when you learn how to do that. But also there's this other like like element that you're you're going to have to do that you don't understand it's, and it's you have to be on it in, in the sense of you're going to have to like read every blog you can get your hands on, like watch every freaking YouTube video you can, like watch every online course, take every online course you can about – how to build user experience or how to, how to do search engine marketing or how to like crush it at Facebook ads, because there's like, there's a hundred things you're going to have to learn. It's not just like hiring an engineer to build it. And then, and then you just sit back, like you're going to have to know to a degree how all those things work. And so long as you're willing to learn, like uh, the, the, uh, the phrase is uh, be a, be a learn it all, not a know it all. Interesting. And if you're willing to do that and to be a sponge and to spend your nights and weekends consuming as much as you can to, to catch up and learn this stuff over a year, two, three years, you can, you can learn it. You can do, get to the 80-20 principle of you know, 20% of the knowledge can get you 80% of what you need. And then you can get to a point where you can delegate these things. But the cost of entry is going to be a year, two, three years of, 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 being, of, will, of the willingness to do that.
1: No, I, I think that's really good advice. You brought up something else that I think a lot of people don't think about, um, no matter what, how technical or non-technical they are, is it's never done. Like, you, software is getting updated um, daily, weekly, monthly, and even, like, your browser, your OS on your smartphone is rolling out, like, Chrome gets updated every eight weeks and whether you know it or not, you just, it just automatically updates in the background, right? Sometimes it's big changes, sometimes it's small changes, but you know, you don't touch your software for six months, eight months, maybe a year or two. Sure. You could maybe get away with it depending on what your software is, but eventually your software is just going to stop working on somebody's device or a certain OS because you haven't kept it up to date.
0: Absolutely. It is never done. And it's never done for, for a multiple number of reasons. One, just sheer technically. to keep it working at a fundamental level, there's maintenance that goes involved. So it's never done for that reason. But it's also never done because no matter what vertical or what you're doing, there's another team that's working their ass off that's trying to take it away from you. Totally. And that's why it's never done. It's never done because you have to be, like the Japanese call it Kaizen, like relentless, <laughs> constant, and Improvement. You are trying to improve whatever it is your software does, whatever it is, your platform, your marketplace, your app, whatever it is it does, you're trying to improve it to make it faster, quicker, more reliable, cheaper, more delightful, all of those things. And, and the bar is constantly getting moved, moved higher and higher and higher. That's why it's never done from, from a standpoint of constant, relentless improvement. Here we are, we're six, seven years into building GreenPal hundreds of thousands of users, and we are still focused on one primary problem, which is how do we deliver you the perfect lawn care service at the best possible price you can get it and get it done in the same day, on the time you want, at the price you want, and at the quality level you want. That's what we do. That's what we focus on. And we're still building features, things that happen in the background, all sorts of things, the, the, the thousand things that go into delivering you the right lawn mowing service at the touch of a button that you don't even think about but that's still what we're focused on we're still as it as of today i'm talking with with my team on how we build a feature that solves one of the million problems that can go wrong with getting your graph cut reliably just by pushing a button
1: yeah interesting so how do you guys decide what new features to add um, whether that's based on your roadmap or, well, and or uh, user feedback, because that's really tricky in itself.
0: Absolutely. Especially, you know, we're a bootstrap company. So, you know, we've gotten the 20 million in, in, uh, in GMV with no outside capital at all. It's all been all of our, our seed money was raised uh, by friends and family. And then, and then from then on, we have funded this thing from revenues. Very cool. And so when you're bootstrapped, when you're bootstrapped, you don't have a big team to like tackle these, these big bets and small bets. And so you're kind of always just, you're, you're, always just playing, you're triaging around what the most important things are. And so for us, we have used the, the, the lifeblood of, of our roadmap is fueled by our user feedback that comes through our, uh, through actually through intercom.com, like our, our chat software that we have in the app and the website. Right we make it mandatory that every co-founder, every engineer does a certain number of hours of user support on a weekly basis. Because every decision we make is oriented around what those users are saying. And so for the first two years, our product was like a cobbled together piece of crap with intercom in it. And so at least when Something went wrong, either technically, or the lawnmower guy didn't show up, or he did a crappy job. Like at least we knew about it because they could hit us up an intercom, and that would buzz one of us on our cell phone, 365, 24 hours a day. Right. And so when you have that close pipeline of user feedback of of uh, of what is pissing people off or what's delighting them, it's it becomes very crystal clear what you need to work on that week or that month or that year sure and also and also it can kind of shore up that like, you know you you launched with the with the mvp the minimal viable product which is basically a piece of crap and you just try to get feedback around it if you've got good chat software embedded in that at least you can get done whatever it is the user's trying to do and it's like like for in the in the early years when we had hundreds of users they would hit us up in intercom and be like hey my lawn guy, he didn't show up. I got a party tonight at four o'clock. You know, what do I, what do I do? You're leaving me hanging. And we would literally get on the phone. We would call another, another vendor that used the platform and we would like hustle him out there. We don't do that anymore. But in the early days to make the magic happen, there was a lot of hand cranking. And so sure. our chat, our chat client helped us do that. So for us, It's been very almost, it's almost been easy to understand what are the next two or three things we need to work on because of the pipeline of feedback coming from users, what they wish it would do. Now, that said, we know that our sole job is to reduce as much friction as we can in the process of getting quotes for your lawn mowing, deciding who you want to work with based on reviews and ratings, hiring them, and then them actually showing up to do the job and do it. to a a satisfactory degree. We know our only job is to reduce all the friction and all of those things happening. But we do make big bets from here here and there. Like we just uh, rolled out a, a new feature we call Instabook, which you don't have to wait for your quotes when you sign up as a homeowner. You just sign up and instantly you've got three different quotes from service providers in your area. And it's an average lawn mowing price based on the square footage of your lot and your zip code. Now, wow, okay. it took us seven years to get to the point where we had enough data collected around understanding what those what those values are and developing the supplier base to even want to participate in something like that. However, we're just now rolling it out. So that's a big bet we've made. We've spent six months of, of developer resources building it. And so we're hoping that that's going to be uh, something that's, that's, that's going to have a good return on the investment. However, most of the most of the progress has, has been made like to use like the NFL as a metaphor. We don't throw Hail, May- Hail Marys, man. If you're trying to make progress in a startup, especially one that's bootstrapped, it can it can be helpful to, to uh, like make the, uh, the parallel to, to the NFL. And you want to be a football team that, that wins games off of, off of runs. You're making two and three yard gains down the field and it's grinding your way to the end zone. You don't really have, the resources to throw Hail Marys down the field at that point. You have to build a sustainable, a sustainable foundation uh, uh, under your business and just grinding your way to victory little by little by little. Because if you make the wrong bets in those early days, it can be costly. If you spend three or six months and half of your runway of, of building a feature that doesn't have the impact you think it's going to have, then it could be lights out. Whereas if you're focusing on the dozen things that your users wish the software would do to make it maybe uh 10% better, you keep doing that over and over again, those 10% gains compound. And so that's something that I would strongly urge early stage entrepreneurs, especially ones that are self-funded, that they really think through because the, 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 I guess the, uh, we, we, we don't want, like, it's not fun winning the game that way, right? Like, yeah. we want to make those big bets. We want to get sit, and, sit in the lab for six months hacking away at something that we think is going to be the thing. But the reality is most of the time the game is won by just slow incremental progress that compounds over time and that is sustainable and doesn't it doesn't burn all your resources.
1: No, I, I 100% agree with you, and I actually think that's, that's really good advice because – It can be so tricky, right? And you're right. In a lot of cases, that's not sexy at all. Like everybody wants to build that one killer feature that, you know, gets you to a million users and millions of dollars in revenue. But and that happens so rarely because it's so hard to do that. And in a lot of cases, the features that become your Hail Marys are the ones that you grind on for years, right? Right, right. You just slowly, slowly polish them. You, you make them
0: better and better and better. Yeah, those, those big bets sometimes do pay off. But, man, it's, you, it's usually a, a bad bet for an entrepreneur to, to go down that path. You know, we're seeing the one in a 100 or the one in the 1,000 that win at that game. And it's probably as good an odds as moving to Hollywood and becoming a movie star.
1: And and, and the better
0: bet is one of incremental progress.
1: No, a hundred percent agree. It, it, it's so, it's so nice to hear somebody like yourself talk openly about this stuff, right? Because for people that have never done it before and are thinking about doing it, this is kind of the, the hard truth of running a startup.
0: Yeah, it, it is, man. And I'm not, I'm not out here to discourage anybody. I want to encourage people to go for it. Sure. Hell yeah, let's get it. But understand it's going to be a long, hard ride. Totally.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And I think part of the reason I I think people fail in in a lot of cases is I, I think people give up too early. And, or they run out of money. Like people think, oh, in eight months, I'm going to be generating a ton of revenue and this is going to be my full-time job. And I save 10 months worth of living expenses or, or whatever. And in reality, it can take three plus years to start generating the revenue that you thought you were going to to do.
0: Absolutely. and And the hard part of the psychology around it is, you know, we're talking about, gutsy smart people that want to play in this game. So you're probably making a good salary.
1: Yep. You're
0: making 7,500, 150, 200, 250 grand a year. You literally have to give that up and you have to maybe like try to make 30 grand that first year. <laughs> and, totally. and that's hard. That's hard for people to do. You're going to have to go backwards before you can go forward. In my opinion, it's worth it. I mean, I, I'm I'm sitting down here in Tulum, Mexico and I'm I'm having a I'm having a great time, man. I gotta be honest with you. And it's, and the reason I'm here is because it's because I spent 20 years in the in the trenches grinding on stuff. And and uh, had I not done that, had I not be willing to go backwards, I wouldn't be where I am
1: today. No, I, I 100% agree with you. I guess it's like I've always kind of explained it to people like this, and, and you can tell me if you agree or not. It's like you need to figure out what you want to do because i think at some point in your life you realize how important is kind of being your own boss and trying to create something from nothing compared to trying to get some job with a with a lot of salary or a title or whatever is important to you or do you want kind of that freedom that comes with starting your own business you may crash and burn and have to go back to a regular nine to five job but i also think you just need to figure out what your priorities are right and in a lot of cases you end up working more when you're running your own company whether it's a traditional business or an online business or both but you just need to figure out what you kind of want right absolutely and and you know
0: this stuff sounds simple, but it's really hard. And Tony Robbins most of what he teaches is around beginning with the end in mind and focusing on outcomes and understanding what that outcome is and working your way backwards. That's a very simple concept, but in reality it's hard to do.
1: Totally. And
0: and also also I'll say this, man, there is not one path to, to victory. Um, it could be it could be that, that you want to start a software business that makes you ten grand a month. And so you can travel all through Asia and, and not have to, not have to be in an office. Maybe that's your outcome you want. That's or right. maybe you want to swing for the fences and hit a grand slam and, and try to build a hundred million dollar or a billion dollar company. Whatever that outcome is, you, you have to focus on that and, and work your way backwards. I, one of my good friends that I, when, that started a company when I started my, started Green Pal, he built a software company and it, and it, and it failed. And, uh, it ended up getting acquired by by a big SaaS company uh, as an acquihire because he was a smart hustler and they saw that in him and they acquired his business for, for no cash, only stock. Interesting. And I'm talking, I'm talking to him at the time. I remember telling him, I'm like, man, listen, dude, we're entrepreneurs. We don't go work for people. You never had a job. I don't have a job. What the hell are you doing? He's like, he said, man, I'm just going to see how this how this works out. Here we are, seven years later. His stock is worth seven million dollars interesting and he's and he's a he's a senior vice president at that company so there's no one path sure that is like the the path to to the promised land but i do think it helps to like and he and he knew an outcome that he wanted and he focused on it and 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 executed against it i think having that 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 goal that outcome and focusing on that and working backwards is, is the way to get there but there's not one path and i'm not advocating for one Any type of advice I give is is rooted in my experience and how I got to where I am from zero.
1: No, I I think that's actually really good advice in itself, right? Because you're right. You can't really follow somebody else's path. And and what you or I might think is not a good idea for somebody because it's probably not a good idea for like me personally can be a great idea for that person, right? And you just gave the perfect example of that no it... thank god he didn't
0: listen to me <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: i guess eh? Hey?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's what? awesome I, I uh we rent our office space we rent our office space from him uh okay. in a building that he owns and, and it and it's it's like half empty he doesn't even care because he's crushing it at his job man it's awesome i love seeing him win so sure. thank god he didn't listen to him.
1: no that's that's actually really good good advice <laughs> But we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself and uh, Green Pal?
0: Yeah, totally. So anybody can just email me, B-R-Y-A-N, at yourgreenpal.com. And if anybody listening needs basic lawn mowing service, your time is probably better spent grinding and hustling on whatever it is you're doing. You can check out Green Pal in the app store or just go to the website, you can get a lawn mowing service in less than 60 seconds at a good price.
1: Perfect, man. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day and enjoy the rest of your trip and uh, have a a good rest of your day, man. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Okay, bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.